0: On September 26, 2014, a group of students from the Ayotzinapa Normal School commandeered five buses from Iguala, a small town in the state of Guerrero in Mexico. Their intention was to take the buses and travel to Mexico City to participate in a protest. However, as they were leaving the town, they were ambushed. And over the course of the night, six people were killed and 43 students disappeared.
1: And welcome to the Global Enquirer. Global Enquirer is an undergraduate research podcast that takes a look at case studies to explain how global trends are impacting real lives. I'm your host, Nico Marsich, and today I'm joined by Dom Jovaniello, an Arabic and global security and justice major and a researcher at the Global Enquirer. At the outset, you heard Dom describe the Ayotzinapa massacre that occurred in 2014. And we're going to use this case study to explain the trend of forced disappearances within Mexico and the state of internal Mexican security. So Dom, flash forward three years, what has happened in Ayotzinapa since?
0: Well, since the 2014 uh, forced disappearance of the 43 students, there have been several investigations by the national police and the attorney general's office, as well as several international bodies. And they've come to some startling conclusions. So I'd first like to talk about the government response to the Ayotzinapa massacre. First of all, within a, a week of the massacre, authorities found an unmarked grave with 38 bodies in it just outside of Iguala. However, it eventually became clear that none of the bodies within that grave were of the students who disappeared. And so this is a testimony to the fact that Ayotzinapa is not an isolated incident and that it's indicative of a larger problem across Mexico, which is why it's so concerning that the federal government responded in such a negligent and disinterested way. It took 10 days for President Enrique Peña Nieto to actually directly address the Ayotzinapa massacre. And although hundreds have been arrested, including the ex-mayor of Iguala, Jose Luis Abarca, and his wife, in connection with the Ayotzinapa massacre, subsequent investigations have found several problems with the government's version of what actually happened. For example, former Attorney General Murillo Karam claimed that the 43 students were incinerated in a local trash dump. You know, forensic experts have found that that was actually impossible, and there's no way that 43 bodies were completely destroyed in a small local trash fire. Secondly, the federal government has taken extreme pains to emphasize that federal police and military, they did not know about the forced disappearance, and they had no part in the ambushing and attacking of students. Yet... One of the locations where the students were forcibly disappeared is located less than 100 meters from a military base. So there are a lot of discrepancies in the government account. And one of the most notable and one of the most reflective of the actual state of internal security within Mexico and the human rights situation is the fact that a group of independent experts found that nearly 80% of the suspects detained by the Mexican government in connection with the Aotanapa massacre, had signs of physical abuse, torture, or maltreatment. And yet the government relied almost exclusively on eyewitness testimony to build its case and to issue its reports and findings. And this is reflective of a much broader trend within Mexico where Mexican security forces commit abuses with total impunity.
1: Right. I mean, this trend within Mexico is extremely alarming and to talk more about how this isn't necessarily an isolated incident, in fact, it can be d- more generalized throughout Mexico, I sat down with Jorge Verestegue, who is an expert uh, for a victims group called Fuerzas Unidas por Nuestros Desaparecidos en Coahuila, and Coahuila is a region in northeast Mexico. And in this take, you'll hear Jorge discuss, you know, how this isn't really a problem regionally but is, in fact, a generalized problem and represents really a humanitarian crisis within Mexico. In this take, Jorge is describing that since 2009, there was a lot of violence within the northeast of the country, in Coahuila, the region that he's from. But over time, this violence became more generalized and more common throughout Mexico, and in essence, now it's a humanitarian crisis where the disappearances occur throughout Mexico. And although these desaparecidos, or disappeared, are committed by civilians, they receive help from the state.
2: You know, there's a, an official state register, he says,
1: where over 33,000 disappeared are listed, and of those 33,000, only 2 to 10 percent of the cases have been investigated. Furthermore, he goes on to say that there is direct participation from the Mexican government, which is why so many of these cases of the disappeared have remained unresolved, and often there are politicians involved. And most alarming to me was his take about you know, how there are roughly 30,000 forcibly disappeared Mexicans. It's clear that there's such a lack of accountability and justice within the Mexican system. But in our interview, I was also curious as to, you know, like, why these disappearances happened, especially but starting in 2008 and 2007, into 2012 and 2014. So I asked Jorge, and he had a really interesting response. look,
2: pues eh, cada region...
1: And to summarize what he said, he's basically saying that there's a it's a combination of forced work by the government and territorial disputes that have led to the rise of forced disappearances within the country and most importantly um, one of the main culprits is the government he basically says that there's a direct participation of the Mexican government, which is, you know, extremely alarming, given that you'd expect the government and the police to provide security and not, like, actually forcibly disappearing citizens in Mexico.
0: And we also sat down with Humanis Suarez, a Mexican human rights lawyer and associate director for Mexico at WOLA, the Washington office on Latin America in which she discusses the human rights and security situation within Mexico more broadly. And it it seems like part of the problem isn't just the the disappearances and the torture and the abuses. It's that the authorities have been really hesitant to act or to really take on these issues. Can you talk a little bit about why that is and how that's affected um, the security situation and the human rights situation in Mexico?
2: Yeah, I think that at least since the administration of President uh, Felipe Calderón, we have seen uh, security that security policies in Mexico have uh, focused on the use of uh, the military in the streets. Uh, the military has been taking a leading role in security matters in Mexico, from patrolling the streets to leading uh, drug operations or to the involvement of, of the military in civilian investigations. So I think that in in this situation the efforts to strengthen civilian institutions has taken a back seat to this approach Uh, and this decision of using the military to address any security risk in mexico has had really bad consequences i will just point maybe two of the most important the first one will be that violence has increased in the country while human rights violation persists Um, and the second will be that soldiers and also organized crime uh, And all those who commit uh, human rights violations and atrocities are rarely held accountable for the abuses. So I think that altogether that has led to a really concerning um, situation in in terms of security and human rights in the country.
0: And what, in your opinion, is is responsible for the alleged human rights abuses committed by the Mexican security forces? Is it mostly due to a lack of accountability? Or are there some other factors that are really um, leading or pushing this, this problem?
2: Well, as I was saying before, I think that um, for me at least there are two culprits. The first one I will say is the Mexican government because I think it has failed year after year uh, to revise this very ill-conceived strategy to counter organized crime. Uh, And I also think uh, criminal organizations uh, in Mexico have become more violent and have committed um, atrocities without actually being held accountable. And they have committed atrocities against Mexicans, but also against migrants in transit. So I will point to both the government and criminal organizations for for how things are in Mexico now. In general terms, I will say that the current situation is a combination of both uh, the actions of criminal organizations, but also the inadequate response of security forces to the situation we have seen many cases uh where there is collusion between security forces and organized crime but we have also seen cases where there is uh, where there are operations to counter these groups and uh, in enforcing those operations uh soldiers and other security forces commit abuses against uh, the population so um, i think that precisely because there is not a clarity a clarity as to what What are the main main goals of of these strategies or these operations? Uh, That has led to a lot of abuses. Um, And that has also led to avoid discussions that we still need to have in Mexico, I think, about police reform and about the collusion of uh, organized crime with some security forces uh, at federal and state level.
0: Regarding the second point, especially like the proliferation of violent gangs and, and the increasing violence committed by them, um, Guerrero is the main producer of poppy in Mexico um, and the United States is going through an opioid epidemic right now. Uh, to what extent has the U.S. opioid uh, crisis fueled violence in Mexico and, and further exacerbated this problem?
2: Well, I think that, yeah, indeed, the U.S. opioid crisis has made things worse in Mexico, but I also think that the inadequate response of the U.S. and Mexico governments uh, has also led to this crisis. Uh, and as I was saying before, I think instead of having a comprehensive strategy to counter drug trafficking and even drug, uh, drug consumption in Mexico, what we've seen, at least from the side of Mexico, is the use of law enforcement and the deployment of um, soldiers in the streets. And we haven't seen serious efforts to investigate all these criminal uh, organizations that are trafficking drugs uh, in Mexico and uh, to the US. So as long as both governments keep having like a very short side strategy on these issues, I think we will keep just repeating the same mistakes.
0: So in your opinion, what, what should both governments be doing?
2: I think they should focus instead of uh, using soldiers and a militarized strategy. I think uh, it would be good for them to strengthen um, civilian institutions such as the prosecutor's office in Mexico or the police, I think the response to this situation is not only in the use of force and the use of soldiers. I think we also need to have serious investigations and prosecutions uh, regarding drug trafficking, but also criminal, um, to dismantle criminal organizations and to hold um, government officials and criminal organizations accountable for any atrocities that they uh, perpetrate.
0: And do you think there have been any positive developments or is the, are all the indicators pointing towards the situation becoming worse? Because I've been reading a lot recently about the, um, the, the recently passed law of internal security. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Do you, are you hopeful that the Mexican authorities are aware of this issue and responsive to, towards it and at least trying to address it in a proper fashion? Or do you think that uh, the case is the opposite?
2: I think uh, it's the opposite. (laughs) I think that uh, with examples like the law on internal security, what they are doing is precisely um, avoiding a larger discussion on other changes that need to happen in Mexico. Like, for instance, uh, the creation of this new Fiscalía Autónoma that will be more able to investigate crimes uh, than what PGR is doing now in Mexico. I think they are avoiding uh, important uh, discussions on the lack of accountability for uh, military abuses. So I do see the law on internal security as one of the uh, worst ever approved in Mexico uh, and trying to like seeing on the brighter side of things, I think that amidst all this violence and and human rights uh, situation, uh, the victims movement in Mexico um, is uh, more empowered and I think they are very organized uh, and we are seeing more and more uh, the family of of the disappeared um, organizing to uh, demand um, responses from the government. So uh, now with the recently approved law on um, disappearances in Mexico, I think this uh, this will be a very good opportunity for the government to show that they have actually a serious commitment with um, addressing the, the situation of disappearances in Mexico and to find uh, the disappeared.
0: And uh, just one more question regarding uh, this particular issue. Um, how do you see the uh, law of internal security and, and recent developments um, as uh, either complementing or negating uh, the 2014 reform of the the code of military justice, which brought abuses committed by the military under uh, civilian criminal court uh, jurisdiction? Do you think that the, this uh, this reform enabled victims groups to to start really attempting to hold the military and security forces accountable. And uh, I guess the, the other question that arises from that is, what avenues have people been using to challenge government abuses?
2: Yeah, I think that the law on internal security does nothing to end with the impunity that prevails for military abuses. We recently at WOLA uh, uh, published a report on that, and we found that 97 percent of the cases of military abuse uh, remain unpunished. And the law on internal security does nothing to change that situation Um I think that the law has uh, faced, well, I don't think I've seen <laughs> that the law is facing a really um, pushback from civil society groups in Mexico. Uh, we even have governors from other states challenging the law on the basis that will um, violate human rights. It gives a blank check to the military to be deployed on the streets, and it does not uh, provide serious and uh, enforceable um, Accountability mechanisms, so amidst the situation where all the military abuses go unpunished in Mexico practically I think the law on internal security does nothing to improve the situation so we, uh, we still have to see because these uh, challenges against the law are now in the Supreme Court and uh, we still need to see which will be the decision of the Supreme Court and whether or not the law will be uh, deemed constitutional uh, but I don't think the law on internal security um, is very good for increasing accountability for um, military abuses in Mexico.
0: And so what becomes clear from our interview with Jimena is that, as we said earlier, this is not an isolated incident, and that it's reflective of a, of a broader problem within Mexico. There's a lack of accountability for security forces. At the same time, there's a focus on combating the cartels through the military. And this has come at the expense of civilian institutions, which provide a level of accountability and protect against such abuses. And at the same time, you have a complete lack of clarity in what the government's strategy is because on the one hand, you have massive collusion between municipal and local police and in some cases federal with the cartels. But you also have, you know, brutal operations directed at the cartels that result in collateral damage or human rights abuses. And so what needs to happen is there needs to be a comprehensive strategy to deal with the cartel violence and to at the same time ensure that there's accountability accountability and to delegate more of the responsibility and the power to the civilian institutions, such as the courts and the police.
1: Right, because unfortunately, as Jorge describes in this take here, there really haven't been any positive developments lately. And, you know, Jorge really does not sound optimistic for the future.
2: No,
0: there hasn't been a positive change in Mexican politics, including change in various laws, protocols, or institutions of government. But in the end, it's part of a simulation of the same Mexican government, They have this actual intention of making changes in these cases, and not just in localized ways. But, like I said, the problem is the direct participation of the government in the disappearances of these people. So look, if the police are responsible for the disappearances, they are also responsible for finding the
2: disappeared.
1: Yeah, I mean, as as he says, Mexico is a country of impunity. The government is is both the incriminal and the investigator. And until civil society improves and strengthens in Mexico, it's hard to imagine that much change will exist within the internal state of security in Mexico.
0: And so this is actually where we see some hope in the situation for Mexico.
1: Although the government has in many ways
0: doubled down on its current approach, passing such laws as the law of internal security, which actually increases the authority and purview of the military, in fighting the cartels, there has been a significant mobilization of civil society organizations and victims groups to challenge the government and to provide some level of accountability. And to be fair to the Mexican security institutions and to the Mexican government, the root of the problem is undeniably the drug cartels. They're mainly responsible for perpetrating the violence that is ravaging Mexico. And Guerrero, which is Mexico's largest heroin producer and the most violent state in Mexico is an extreme example of the situation within the country. But that does not change the fact that the Mexican government should and can do more to ensure that security forces are not acting with impunity and are not committing abuses against their citizens or colluding with the cartels.
1: And that'll do it for today's episode. I want to thank Dom, Jimena and Jorge for doing this great research and interviews. Uh, we really appreciate it. While you're at it, you can give us a rating and comment on iTunes. We really appreciate all the support. And you can check out our new website at www.globalinquire.org to check out our new content, our blog, and even after hours where we explore earlier episodes and do a little previewing for the future episodes. Our next episode will feature a little highlight from the previous episodes this semester as the Global Inquirer goes on a little spring break. We'll see you next time.